Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It wasn't the result we were looking for against West Ham this weekend. A 3 2 defeat going into an international break has left. A little bit of a meltdown on Liverpool's uh, online, I think that's fair to say. But James and Max are here to put everything right and have a positive outlook on guys. Yeah, yeah, just what you need. A 3-2 defeat and then an international break. It's what a week. (laughs) You know what? I'm, I'm the negative Nancy on this show. I know this. But I am going to have a go at the absolute cry asses that I've heard or heard read on social media. So st- stay tuned for a rant. Yeah, um, I think we'll all concur with that rant. So let's let's get straight into it then. Um, obviously, a 3-2 defeat away to West Ham. Um, not the result you're looking for. Liverpool's unbeaten run has came to an end. The big question that everyone's been talking about is, has this res- result shown that Liverpool and Liverpool's squad is not capable of competing with Chelsea and Man City for a Premier League title? Or is it too much of an overreaction to say that just yet? What, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I think it's just a massive overreaction. I don't think anyone was complaining when we went 26 games unbeaten. I don't think anyone was turning around saying the squad couldn't compete then. I just think everyone goes overboard with a with a defeat and, and the way it happens, um, going 3-1 you know, down at one point and West Ham seemed to carve us up at whenever they wanted, really. But, you know, I, th- I just think that comes down to, you know, we've got to give some respect to David Moyes and the, the job he's done at West Ham. I mean, they've already beaten, um, they've not Man City out of the League Cup. You know, and they've already beaten Spurs. So, the no pushover West Ham. And the crowd seems to have got behind them this season, which I think at the London stadiums, everyone's always questioned whether they can bring that atmosphere from Upton Park over to the new stadium. But, yeah, I just think it's a massive overreaction. I think Liverpool have got the squad depth and they have got a squad worthy of challenging for the title. I mean, they came second to City by a point and with you know, 90, 97, 98 points and then won the league the year after. So they've definitely got the squad. I just think um, anything that could have gone wrong that day, I think it all just happened all at once. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. There is an issue with the midfield right now. I I think that anyone who's watched Liverpool consistently this season can see there is a problem with us defending transitions. Um, And that is partially down to Ginny Wijnaldum leaving because he was so positionally disciplined that he would always cover the runs. And we don't really have a midfielder to do that. However, I have seen multiple people. I actually saw, I actually cannot believe this, or a Twitter account that has got a lot of followers and he's proven themselves to be a moron, um, say, I can't believe... These words, I can't believe everyone is happy with us being mediocre. Mediocre. A team that has beaten Porto, Atletico Madrid, and AC Milan four games in a row in the Champions League to qualify from the group of death from a team who have got arguably the best forward in the world, arguably the best centre-back in the world, and arguably the best holding midfielder in the world, among other top-class players, arguably the best coach in the world. And yet, apparently, we're mediocre 
because we've drawn a couple of games and lost to West Ham. The so amount of cry arsing from five-year-old children who don't actually support Liverpool, who just want to be associated with the success of the club, is ridiculous. Yeah. And people, quite frankly, <laughs> need to grow up when it comes to how they react to sporting results. Because I saw I saw a post from Joel Matic's partner saying there were some really bad Liverpool fans. And that is absolutely 100% true because with success come bandwagoners. And bandwagoners, when it comes to football, are the most toxic people on the internet. And as far as I'm concerned, they could all go and get gone. Yeah. It's just so every time Liverpool get a less than, you know, basically less than a win, whether it's a draw, whether it's a, it's a loss, it, it just seems like the baby's out of the bathwater and everything is just awful and everyone thinks it's the end of the world and Liverpool are going nowhere and you know you see people like we'll come on to a specific instance in the game in a minute but I've seen people saying that Alisson shouldn't play the next game I think we spoke on the show last week didn't we about how how good West Ham are I think West Ham now you know they got European football last last season they're currently sitting third in the Premier League they're, they're basically a, a top six team at the moment over, over what we've seen over the last two years and if you lose narrowly to you know away at Tottenham or away at uh, Man United, no, no one was saying anything because, you know, they're, they're defined as big big games. But I think you have to put West Ham in, in that, that kind of bracket now, a top six-ish team, and, and they'll be looking to, to build on what they did last season. But looking at the specific incidents in the game that could have been turning points, um, obviously there was two, I guess, controversial-ish decisions one in my opinion um the referee got right and one in my opinion that the referee got wrong so let's see what you guys think the first one was the first goal um where the corner was whipped in and it went down as an Allison own goal um the pe- people are saying that and Klopp was quite strong saying that Ogbonna had fouled Allison um in my opinion I don't think it was a foul I think Allison just had a poor game overall and that was just the start of it and he should have been stronger um, what what were your guys' views on on that incident first and foremost the, the first goal? Yeah, I've not really got many complaints for the first goal. I think Allison comes out, tries to punch it with his right arm, completely misses it. Obviously, due to Ogbonna being in the air with him, and then goes for it with his left and just slices, you know, just slices his knuckles and just goes in. But the only thing I would say with the Allison one is I have seen all the decisions quite similar to that given. Mm, yeah. So I think that's where I think that's where you know Liverpool fans and, and Klopp's got this uh, you know do feel a little bit hard done by by that decision is I think we've seen it time and time again sometimes just the smallest contact with the goalkeeper has been enough for VAR to overturn it. Um, do I think it was a foul? No, I don't. But you've got to be consistent. If other ones are getting brought back for a foul and a free kick in certain other games since VAR's come in, then I just think you've got to be consistent with it. But yeah, not really too many complaints about it because he just doesn't really cover himself in much glory, to be honest, Alison. No, he's not a foul. I mean, Alison's what six four and built like a tank. Like, if if he if he goes to physically dominate, he will. And he was weak. Um, he was weak in the challenge and got punished for it. That wasn't a foul. Um, obviously, Clark wants to protect his player. Completely understandable. I would do the same in his position. Um, but 
yeah, it, <laughs> there's not much more to say about it. It wasn't a foul. Allison had a really poor game. However, for all the people on social media saying it should be dropped, one poor game for a goalkeeper who saved us about six matches this season is not a reason to drop him. One of the best goalkeepers in the, in the world. Bloody hell. Um, anyway. Was it uh, Ian we... Doyle? Was it Ian Doyle for the Daily Mail who said that um, there's talks that maybe uh, Kelleher or Adrian might come in to replace Allison after the international break? Yeah, Balls from the Echo. Oh, was it? I mm. thought it was the Daily Mail. Yeah. Well, either, no, either you way. just assume off the back of that tweet, which is fair <laughs> enough, really. Yeah, I mean, that kind of talk is just absolute. Absolute nonsense. It's like saying, oh, you don't play Salah because if he, if he, you know, misses an easy chance or, or something, it's just ridiculous. A goalkeeper, like Alisson didn't have a good game. We can all agree on that. And when goalkeepers don't have good games, inevitably it leads to conceding goals. That just goes with the territory. It doesn't mean you you don't pick him in the next one. And I don't believe that for a second. I fully expect him to be in goal um, against Arsenal. But the other decision that I was... A little bit. I wasn't. I didn't have any complaints with the first goal, um, same as you guys. But the, the the other decision that I was more questioning what was the Cresswell possible red card for that tack on Henderson. For me, it seemed out of control. Um, I don't think he obviously meant to meant to fly in and on, on Henderson. He didn't mean to to hurt him, but it was out of control, and his studs ended up you know halfway up his shin. For me, that could well have been a red card. And once they started looking at it, I assumed that they, they would give it because it's one of those where normally when VAR gets involved to that extent you see them and um, you see them overturned but not not the case on this one well the referee didn't even give a free kick it's only because <laughs> VAR brought it back instead of free kick needed to be given so um I mean let's be honest it's it's similar to the Paul Pogba one on Navigator on uh, in, in, at Old Trafford the other week yes both similar tackles. They haven't gone in to hurt the opponent, but they've gone in rash. They've left the leg up. They've connected with the, you know, with the shin area and the knee. Um, one's been given as a red and one hasn't. I definitely think Aaron Cresswell should have been sent off. I think the, the more you watch it, the worse it gets, the worse it looks. And then the, I've seen since the referees come out and said he didn't give a red card because he didn't see enough, didn't see, see enough of a connection and didn't see enough force into the tackle which is weird because it sent Henderson about six foot in the air once he made contact. So uh, it's a bit of a strange one. But yeah, definitely that that was the one that I think the referee has got wrong out of the two decisions. And, you know, listen at 1-1, West Ham down to 10 men. It, it, it's a completely different game. Um, and you never know where it could have gone. But yeah, I definitely think the referee's got that one wrong. Yeah, I agree. It's a red card. Cresswell is out of control and the tackle is reckless. That is all you need to know about that. Um, like, like how, how many times have we seen players fly in over the top of the ball? Not saying Cresswell did this, by the way, he didn't. He, he hit the ball, went high, and and um, yeah. and took out Henderson's knee. But he was not in control. Yeah. And the whole the whole thing. I've seen tackles before where someone where not much contact's been made. But it's gone high, and and a player's been sent off. That that happens regularly. So why that why that interpretation is used here, but not in other tackles, is something I find very confusing. I mean, look at like um, Everton. Um, Mason Holgate got sent off for effectively the same tackle um, in the game at Goodison Park. Also went off the top of the ball and hit. I think it was Hoiberg high, yeah, um, and got sent off. But to be honest, I, I have less of an issue with, I mean, 
you know, let's be honest, Liverpool have had a lot of red cards go in our favour this season. And one was always going to come back and, you know, not happen. But what does annoy me is how can the rules be so subjective that two tackles that are very similar take place same match week, same match day, and one results in a red card and one doesn't even result in a foul? How can the rules be so subjective that that happens? That is just an indictment on Mike Riley and all the referees for me. This this is for me is why VAR shouldn't be using these kind of these situations unless it is like an absolute real howler of a, of a decision because we have two incidents that are almost identical and because of you know that subjectivity clause or whatever rule or, or whatever you want to describe it as they can have such different inter- interpretations. There was a penalty given in in the Newcastle Brighton game, which I thought was a penalty, but Brighton won for um, a, a foul. Kieran Clark fouled a Brighton player, but there's been other similar challenges like that that haven't been given for penalty kicks. And I just think VAR started off this season a little bit better than it has done in previous years, but the last few weeks it seems to have been cropping up with some uh, contentious decisions again. And it's not fair to blame VAR; obviously it's the people using it because VAR is basically just a camera. That really annoys me when people say VAR's made this mistake when it's literally just a camera. It's the people using it that, for whatever reason, are incompetent. Um, but yeah, so it, like you say, if those decisions go the other way, particularly the Cresswell one, and they've got to play basically, I don't know how long, 70, 80 minutes with 10 men, whatever time it was when that tackle happens, it's a completely different game. And maybe Liverpool go on and not lose the game, maybe go on and win the game. But um we spoke a bit about, obviously, the midfield's got some issues at the moment. Um, maybe it's partly down to we've not really got much availability and the midfield kind of picks itself just because we've got a lot of injuries in that area. But to me, it feels a little bit like some of the games we've seen this season, we're playing, they're being played out a little bit like the early Jurgen Klopp era where that kind of 17-18 season when, when we got to the Champions League final in Kiev, but We'd, out, we'd be outscoring teams rather than having control. They'd all be, almost be like basketball games at times where we'd score lots of goals, but we'd concede quite a few as well. And obviously that was rectified with the signings of Van Dijk and Alisson and, and Fabinho. But do you guys think that kind of lack of control we're seeing maybe in a few games is, is cause for concern or there's other factors to why that is the case? No, I, listen, I think it's definitely a lot better than last season. <laughs> <laughs> to put it that way. Um, but I think, again, Van Dijk, I think we were all expecting to come back and be the exact same Van Dijk he was before we got the injury. And obviously it looks like it is just taking him a little bit of time, um, obviously to get back up to match speed and to find that yard of pace. But beginning of the season, I think it was all the first five five games we didn't concede a goal. And then obviously it just seems to be all going wrong at the moment. And I, I do think it just seems to be the reason I only reason I can think of is the swap and change in midfield. We don't seem to have that stability in the midfield that we used to have. So it was all you knew week in, week out. It was Henderson, Fabinho, and Wijnaldum is your midfield three. The defense knew it, and the front three knew it. Now all of a sudden you've got Curtis Jones in for one game, you've got Oxlade Chamberlain in for two games. Thiago gets thrown on when you're three one down. Um, Milner's played, so I just think the midfield is just swapping and changing too many times. Because it's like Max was saying, you know, we seem to be in out of transition. We just seem to be getting cut through too often. 
And I think that comes down to just swapping and changing the plays to him. I think if you're playing along the same, the other two midfielders, if you and the other two midfielders are playing alongside each other week in, week out, almost becomes second nature where you need to be. So I just think, you know, the injury problems at the moment Liverpool have got in midfield is so just not helping the defence. We're just getting exposed all the time. West Ham were really good at it on on Sunday, just getting the ball and lumping it to Antonio um, and then counter-attacking that way. But I just think if we could get a bit of stability in that midfield or bring in a new one, probably won't happen in January because we don't spend any money. But I just think, you know, letting Gini go, I think, it's bad enough that we let him go, but to let him go for free, I just think it's probably the worst bit of business the club's done. So definitely since um, FSG have taken over. I think £35 million pounds for Andy Carroll would disagree with you on that. Um, I think, right, not to get too nerdy here, but I've, I've spotted, and a few other people have as well, I've spotted a bit of a tactical issue and it's a new way that Liverpool are attacking particularly down the right side down Henderson's side so what's starting to happen now is that Trent Alexander-Arnold he's starting to underlap a lot more than he overlaps but the issue with that obviously is that you lose width when that happens so what's happening is Henderson is pushing up and I've seen people go oh Henderson thinks he's a winger as if he's just not doing what Jurgen Klopp has told him to do, which, quite frankly, is childish and stupid. Um, but what is happening is he's pushing really high up. Now, when you have Thiago on the pitch, he can do that because what happens is when Alexander-Arnold pushes in field and Henderson goes wide, Thiago can drop deep and he'll sit next to Fabinho and you essentially end up with like a sort of 4-2-4 four, four kind of thing going. Um, but... <laughs> then you have the issue that Thiago's out and Ginny's not there. So your midfield replacements at that point do not have the same level of positional discipline and tactical nows as a Thiago does. So what might end up having to happen is that this switch to get a midfielder going wide, which is creating a lot of chances because Alexander-Arnold is managing to play in field. It means that he's a lot more able to play um, more incisive passes rather than hitting um, crosses into the box. That might have to be restricted until Thiago gets back to full fitness and he can play consistently because that, I think, will give us a much better midfield shield. But what's happening at the moment is when you have outside Chamberlain on one side and Henderson on the other, they're both pushing up. And Fabinho has got way too much space to cover by himself in midfield. So it's not Henderson just deciding that he doesn't. like Henderson, if there is one thing you can say about Jordan Henderson, is that he is tactically disciplined and that he yeah. understands his role in the team. You don't play un- as often under Jurgen Klopp and captain a Jurgen Klopp team if you don't know what you're doing tactically. That just doesn't happen. So I think that... The issue can be solved by possibly a temporary move to a 4-2-3-1 and just maintain a double pivot um, con- consistently rather than having this sort of lopsided thing that we've got going at the moment. That might change. Jurgen Klopp might change the way the 4-3-3 plays. But at the moment, we have a systemic issue with our midfield with Henderson pushing high and someone not dropping in to help cover his gap. So, yeah. Again, apologies to get all nerdy, but yeah, that's the observation I've made. 
Another thing that I thought that, w- that was missing against West Ham as well was that, that Firmino's obviously injured. And I felt like it was a perfect game for him to kind of be that at times extra man in, the, in that midfield because some of West Ham's counter-attacks, they were just kind of cutting straight through, even with, you know, Fabinho there. And, and there's a couple of times where Van Dijk had to shepherd, um, I think it was Bowen a couple of times out, out to the out wide when he was basically one on one with Van Dijk. Um, and if he got past him, he'd have been in on the keeper. Do you think, obviously, for, for me, those injuries, hamstring injury, it's been described as serious. I don't think, unless, um, correct me if I'm wrong, what actual timescale has been put on it. But how big a miss do you think he'll be over the next few weeks and um, and months? Because he offers a different dimension that that to what, for example, Jota does. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a big miss. I mean, last season, obviously, we talked about how, you know, could this, have we seen the best of Bobby? Was he ever going to get to that level again? Um, and this season, I think he's been right at it. I think this has probably been the best start I've seen from Bobby in the last, you know, definitely two seasons. Um, he, he, he's pressing again, he's scoring goals, which is the main thing. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big mess because, if you start Firmino, then you've got Jota as an option to come off the bench. And if you start Jota, then you've got Firmino coming off the bench. And I think in the Premier League, it's, it's just all about having options, being able to bring a different kind of player on during a game to completely change it. And Firmino offers all that. He can score goals, he can create goals. And he also does the dirty side of the game, which goes really underrated in Liverpool's team. So, yeah, like you said, he, he can drop deep, can make that midfield three, sometimes a midfield four, really bit of a diamond and let the other two push on so he does bring a different dimension to Liverpool and especially in a game where you know West Ham were just sitting back and were just knocking the ball long I think the way he presses and the way he he leads the line could have been perfect for us but just hope he comes back sooner rather than later because we really ideally need him to get some game time in before the African Cup of Nations comes Yeah I mean like that that is absolutely Absolutely required. Um, he's had a good start to the season. Hasn't been perfect. Um, but he's, yeah, he's playing a lot better this season than he was last. Um, yeah, the way that he drops into midfield is very, very necessary when we don't have the ball, especially, or during build-up to give us another passing option. Um and none of our other forwards really do that. Again, this is why I think a 4-2-3-1 which is not a new formation. We've played it before many times. Um, would not be a terrible idea. But the unfortunate thing is we do switch to a 4-2-3-1. We don't have Bobby to play in that number 10 role, which is where he would thrive in that system. Um, probably you'd see maybe Minamino move in there or, or as I talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, you can have Mane play there like he does for uh, Senegal. So, uh, yeah, it's... Having Bobby's a big miss, both from a uh, you know a, a attacking point of view and also from a tactical one um, in terms of his ability to drop into midfield. But look, at the end of the day, this this team took injuries to half its first team last year and still managed to finish third. So uh, yeah, I think a Bobby injury. I, I think Klopp said more than four weeks which could mean, you know, 75 years or five weeks. So it's not exactly accurate, um, but I'll take what I can get, really. It's the same thing he said about Naby as well. He, he said something similar. If it, he said, 
when they when they always say after the international break, that makes after the international break it could be twenty twenty four. After I mean? like, international yeah. break, November twenty twenty six, and he just goes, "I never specified. I did not lie." <laughs> it's still after the international break, either way. But um, yeah, fingers crossed it, it's it's not too long. Um, and then obviously after the international break, it, it's Arsenal. They're the next um, team up for Liverpool. They come to. Anfield, um, and they're probably one of the most informed teams in the league at the minute. They're unbeaten in the last um, f- four or five, I think, and they've won the last three on the bounce. And they seem to be getting a bit of a rhythm together. And if they, you know, were if Arsenal were to beat us, they'd they, they go above us in the, in the league. So, given the most recent results we've had, I know we said Brighton was a must win, and then we said West Ham is a must win. At this point, this is really a must win against one of the best teams in the league on current form. Yeah, especially considering everyone was seeing us, or were relegated after three games. <laughs> I think it looks pretty yeah. bad if the uh, if they overtake you in the league. Um, but yeah, no, Arsenal have impressed me more from a defensive point of view. I think you know, get Gabriel and White seem to have formed a a solid partnership there, and I think the young left back they signed from Portugal um, seems to be able to keep Kieratini out of the team and. Yeah, he looks like a decent little player that they've, they've picked up um, from the Portuguese league. So I think um, and Ramsdale's put in some really good displays since obviously uh, coming to the club. You know, I think a lot of people laughed at the, was it 25, 30 million they paid for him? I think it was 35. A, a, a rele- yeah, I relegated laughed. goalkeeper. I, so. I'll put my hand up, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I still think though with Arsenal work, they don't create enough chances. And I think that's what could be the downfall this season. I don't really think they, they're solid enough at the back, but I don't think they do enough going forward. So uh, it's going to be a tricky game. Um, but, you know, just got to be able to get over the line against them and hopefully no one comes back from the international break injured. When was the last time that anyone said something along the lines of Arsenal are solid at the back, but they don't do enough going forward? I don't remember the last time that you could actually say that. Um, I think, yeah, Arsenal scare me. Um, I said West Ham scare me last week, and Arsenal. Well, Arsenal, Arsenal are scaring me not because I think they're a better team than Liverpool. They're not, um, but where they score a lot of their goals is in transition with Emil Smith-Rowe cutting inside and making runs through midfield and Odegaard popping up in little spaces um, here and there, Bakayo Saka using his pace to get him behind the left, to get him behind the left back. That attack in midfield three is very good. Like Emil Smith-Rowe in particular and Bakayo Saka, I can't get enough of them. I think they're really, really good. Um, Thomas Partey appears to have found a wee bit of form uh, as well. So, yeah, it's this is a game to be wary of. I mean, like, Jesus, if we weren't wary after drawing to Brighton and then losing to West Ham, I would have serious issues. Um, uh, but, yeah, this is, this is not going to be a fun game. This is going to be a difficult game. And Arsenal, the thing is, Arsenal, unless we switch up, are going to have chances on the counter-attack. Because that is the way that their um, their attack is set up. Aubameyang um, up front, lots of pace. Smith Rowe and Saka on the sides, and Odegaard threading the balls through to them. That's a that's a pretty meaty counter attack. So 
we have to be very careful of that. And if we if we leave Fabinho high and dry again, we're going to have issues. So something needs to change. And finally, just before we go, I'd like to spend a little time talking about our old mate Stevie Steve Gerrard because he's currently being linked with a Premier League move to Aston Villa from Rangers. Um, and just really want to see what your guys' take on it is. There's kind of two trains of thought, really. It's he's obviously going to at some point have to prove himself in a you know quote unquote proper league as the people on Twitter would say, and, and they, it'd be nice to see what he could do in the Premier League before potentially one day taking over at Liverpool, which is obviously highly talked about as maybe maybe not directly after Klopp, but at some point he may be Liverpool manager. Or does he stick around in Scotland for a bit longer, hopefully retain the title that he won for Rangers last year, um, prove that he can, you know, not only win a league, but retain it, which is a skill within itself, and then test himself a little bit further down the line in England or elsewhere because I guess Premier League jobs don't come around well Premier League jobs do come around quite a lot but opportunities in the Premier League don't come around a great deal and Aston Villa have got a pretty good squad and a decent level club in the league for him to kind of build something I guess Yeah I I definitely think he needs a, a job in the Premier League as a second stone before taking the, the, the Liverpool job. I think we all know that's what's you know down the pipeline. I think that's why the, the club gave Gerard the opportunity in the youth setups. That's, that's why they're given permission to go to Rangers. Um, because I think they've got this idea that you know Gerard will go away, learn his trade, and then come to Anfield and obviously take over the, the team and the and the running of the squad. But I, I definitely think he needs some sort of Premier League experience. It's completely changed from when you know Stevie left. Um, we're seeing some very good managers, experienced managers, come into the Premier League and just not cut it. Um, and I think he could do a lot worse than Aston Villa. I mean, they've still got a, a good squad, and all they've just sold Jack, you know, they sold Jack Grealish in the summer. But you know, this is still a team that was looking for Europa League football coming up towards the back end of last season. And yes, the, the form has taken a bit of a dip. Um, over the last four or five games. Um, but I still think he, he could do something with that squad. Um, and with his, you know, his stock's never been as high. He's coming off a league win with Rangers. They're at the top of the Scottish League again and look like they could probably you know go on and go deep into a title race with Celtic again this season. So it's just a strange one. It's, it's whether he's willing to give up what he's worked for at Rangers just to go to the Premier League and it depends whether Aston Villa can convince him. I know he was linked to the Newcastle job before Eddie Howe got it. I definitely think he shouldn't have gone for that job because they're definitely going to look like they probably will get relegated this season. Um, at least with Villa, you know, you'd think he would be able to keep them up in the Premier League and then he can get a full season of Premier League football under his belt. But oh, I think going from Rangers to Liverpool will be too big of a jump and I definitely think he needs you know, a mid-table Premier League club just to get him that experience. Yeah, I, I I think Aston Villa would be a great. Um, uh, I think they'd be a great club for him to join. Um, they're a um, you know they're a big they're a big club. Don't um, you know? I know that they have had a bit of a drop in fortunes this season, uh, but you know they're still one of the biggest clubs in England. They they've won a European Cup. Um, you know, were regulars near the top of the Premier League for a long time. 
And then last season um, under Dean Smith, they did really well. I think that from watching bits and pieces of Gerard's Rangers here and there, I think that some of the players there really suit how he likes to play. Attacking fullbacks, a lot of pace um, up front, a uh, a clinical um, a clinical striker. Um, Danny Ings, I think, would fit Gerard's philosophy brilliantly. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, what it would mean is that I'm already slightly conflicted over the Scottish Premier League because I want Gerard to win, but at the same time, I'm an Australian and I really like Ange Postecoglou and I want him to win. So it's it, it it's already a bit hard for me. And then when Gerard comes to the Premier League, I'm just going to feel awful because I'm going to be rooting against Steven Gerrard for the first time in my life when uh, uh, when they play against us. So only two yes. games. Only two, only two I know, games. but it's two games too many. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be a great gig for him. Uh, you know, getting used to the pressure of managing not just in the Premier League, but a big club in the Premier League, a club with a lot of history, a lot of. Uh, a big fan base in, in Birmingham, um, famous old stadium, uh, you know, with a very atmospheric end, the whole end. Um, yeah, I, I think that it would be a fantastic appointment for him. And, I, and the good thing is that squad is so good yeah, in, yes. to, in comparison to a, like a relegation candidate. Even if he didn't do very well, I don't think they'd go down. Um, yeah. So he wouldn't have that on his CV. But I, I think you could. I think you could do good work with them. Yeah. Well, you've sold it to me. I was. I was unsure before the conversation, but you sold it to me with that. <laughs> the only other thing that, that might keep him there is that um, if you win the league in Scotland this year, you get an automatic group stage place in the Champions League next year. So I wonder if he might be tempted just to stay and then see if he, you know, ma- manage in the Champions League uh, and really test himself against the real big boys, but. It's hard, isn't it? Like these, like you say, these opportunities don't come around too often. It's not clear cut that he's going to be offered it. Of course, I think there's a few candidates, but he seems to be among the among the names being linked. But yeah, we'll. we'll the question with the Champions League thing, though, is that let's be honest, Rangers have not done as well in Europe this year as they did last season, and the Champions League is a big step up. I mean, yes, he wants to manage in the Champions League, but to be perfectly honest, they would probably get wrecked by a lot of teams in the Champions League. And yes, you want to manage in the Champions League, but do you want to manage a team that absolutely isn't going to get out of the group stage in the Champions League? They, they, they might, you know, get some lovely Champions League money in their pockets and then... Yuri Telemans makes the move north. It's going to happen. <laughs> be able to attract some stars over. Um, <laughs> Rangers in the Champions League is more attractive than Rangers in the, in the Europa League, isn't it? But yeah. I mean, I yeah, yeah. Rangers need the money because they've just um, just revealed that they made record losses through COVID. Yeah, so I was going to say, the Champions League money. a massive loss. Like £100 million pounds or something. So. You'd, hope, you, 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 you'd hope that they would run a bit better given what happened to them over the last decade. <laughs> you would think so, wouldn't you? You'd think, right, we went into complete liquidation. Let's sort our, our shit out. Yeah. And yet they haven't, apparently. Even though, to be perfectly fair, COVID mitigating circumstances, yeah, yeah. you know, all that. Yeah. But that, that, that would be at the, at the expense of the joke. And that's not what we're about here. Absolutely Funny not. over facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't let facts spoil a good story. Uh, anyway, 
Speaking of good stories, you can get plenty more on anfieldcentral.co.uk and over on our Twitter at Anfield underscore central. And we'll be back after the international break to bring you all the latest Liverpool news. Um, Fingers crossed, no injuries in the break, guys. Um, James Max, thanks for your time as always. Thanks for always speaking to us, boys. I've never seen a man look more proud of a segue in my entire life. Um, And always a pleasure, boys. Yeah, uh, I was was pretty pleased with that one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's it from me as well. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, Goodbye.